0: It's not expensive or challenging to have the basics done right. Because a lot of people also, especially about logos, they think they need like a super clever logo that's like, oh, when you look at it this way, it's like the first letter of the company name. But when you look at it the other way, it's like the truck that we use or the service that we provide. You don't need that. You just need a logo that's not bad.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We got a grinder in the background. So for some good old school TMBA vibes, I have to fire up the microphone and do today's introduction. Today's guest is going to be a speaker at a recent conference, DC MEX. The title is Secrets of a Seven Figure Brand. And I think a topic that got a lot of people's wheels turning at the conference. And the reason is, is like a lot of what we talk about on the show is niching until it hurts, niching down, becoming more focused, finding your ICP. But like branding is really another way to do that. And just being brave with your brand is really affordable. It's free, in fact. Brand strategy, you can sit around and you can be braver for free and that can make you money and that can build you a seven-figure brand. So that's what we're going to talk about today. First, some reflections on, I guess, the beginning of the D.C. Hajj, the pilgrimage. It started in Miami, in Colorado, this past weekend in Mexico City. Now I'm in Playa del Carmen. We got a bunch of events coming down the pike, Lisbon, London, Barcelona, Taipei, Bangkok, and that's just the beginning. So DCers are back. They're global. They're in full force. But I got to say, we did a recent brand census of the people who joined the DC. And one of the biggest misconceptions is, I guess people think we're more nomadic than we are. 88% of DC members, it turns out, have a long-term lease or are homeowners. So We're kind of like the business end of the nomad movement. They're serious professionals, serious business owners, but also serious about travel. We're going to do a full recap episode on our recent conference. Uh, DC MEX just finished up. 200 founders converged upon Mexico City. My brains are still scrambled. I'm taking a bunch of notes. We want to do a full recap episode here with the boss man in a few weeks. But yeah, just some like sort of top level things here. We had 58 meetups. We had our first DC scale, which is this sort of high-end thing I want to share with you today. It was kind of interesting to sit you know, in a mastermind with scale-specific founders, people who are growing seven-figure businesses and beyond. That was an interesting thing. One of the things I see in our industry is a lot of conferences moving towards more experiences instead of conference stuff. And we're sort of doing both. And I we've been entertaining all different kinds of concepts. But honestly, after sitting in these workshops and seeing these talks, I'm like, yeah, that's good too. It's just come in a week early to do the experiences or come to Playa afterwards to chill out together and what we call that a, a migration. We're all sort of in just a few square blocks meeting up for masterminds, just chats about business, pool parties and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the mix is what we're going to stick with for Bangkok and beyond. And we, yeah, we're going to do DC Mix next year. We've already started selling tickets for that. So it went really well. I'm excited to share some lessons with you guys. In particular, I got a lot out of the workshops this year. Like a former guest, Sam Hill did a workshop about cold email. Former guest Davis Wynn did a great talk about his hiring method. In fact, you can go over to remotefirstrecruiting.com and request the Davis Wynn hiring method. And we will execute it for you because it's quite in-depth. So our team will do it for you. That was kind of a cool moment. And the reason I'm kind of doing this intro at the top, a little bit longer to speak with you is this really pointed out to me just how long people listen to the pod before they end up coming to a DC event and that they develop ideas about the community and wishes of how they're going to fit in and what their sort of lifestyle business is going to look like. I was speaking with one listener, Cody, who'd been listening since the early days, and he had a great story about the business he'd grown. One of his favorite parts of the experience was meeting people who had been on the show. And I I went back over the attendee list and discovered that 32 former podcast guests were actually in attendance. One quick thing I want to mention before we get into today's episode is one of the most exciting parts of DCMEX for me was that we're launching a new product and that it's one of the most exciting ones and most requested products. For 10 years now, people have been asking us to do what we're calling Scale Mastermind. Scale Mastermind is simply a version of the DC for higher-level founders. This is the number one request we get from DC members. What's next? It's pretty common that you scale a business to seven figures, multi seven figures, eight figures, and you start to look around at groups like Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, or YPO, or Vistage, or there's a newcomer, Hamptons, by the guys at My First Million. And people go to those groups, and then they come back to us, and they say, man, we wish there were DCers in that group. That's sort of the vibe we're looking for. It turns out, as one member put it, Noel Andrews put it this way. He said, just entrepreneurship, that touch point isn't enough to like find my tribe. It needs to be triangulated with other values that DCers hold. But I want to fast track myself to a room full of seven and eight figure founders. The idea is essentially this. Like how many seven and eight figure founders do you interact with on a weekly or monthly basis? If you join our new product scale mastermind, that number will double overnight. I think the price is right. We've got a bunch of interest, a bunch of signups already. So the deadline for signing up for Scale Mastermind is May 15th. You can find out more about it over at our website, dynamitecircle.com. And maybe this whole brand discussion is super relevant. Number one, we got a new podcast logo. Check it out. It's by the guy who's going to be on the show today. And number two, it's the first time we've ever had a website for Dynamite Circle. So for 10 years, there's been this conversation about our brand that We weren't participating in, you know, the people that came to our conferences, they came because people referred them. They met members while they were traveling, they met members at other conferences and said, Hey, you got to check out this DC thing. And for the first time in over 10 years, we have a role in that conversation. We had to decide how we wanted to position our voice. And we're sort of just getting started. There's not a ton of content up at the site, but today's guest has encouraged us to, you know, lean into what's special and unique about what we do here. And like I said at the top, that's something that we all can do with no money, but just a little bit of bravery. We've said it a bunch of different ways on this pod. Eamon said it with ICP, knowing that ideal client profile. Seth Godin said it with Purple Cow and being a one of one. We've said it countless times with niching until it hurts. Well, today we're going to talk about it with design, brand, logos, brand identity. Yeah, check out our new logo too and give us your thoughts on it today's guest was encouraging to us that we should lean into what makes our brand special and unique. In other words, be more polarizing. This idea that travel and freedom are linked on a deep level is a bigger idea than I'm traveling right now, right? So I think for years, we tried to soften our brand. And this year, we decided to lean into it. The first question is, could you pronounce your full name and let us know what it is you do?
0: This is the first time I ever feel self conscious about how to pronounce my first name correctly. Are like, <laughs> like you going like, <laughs> to uh, Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've been doing this for 28 years. My name is Sharif El it's uh, an Arabic name. I am uh, currently in Cairo. I've lived here for the past maybe 13 years or so. I am Egyptian, but uh, I traveled with my parents. They traveled for work, and now I've been living in Cairo for the past 13 years. I went to school here, studied architecture, and I've been a graphic designer since before school even. I founded my branding studio three years ago. I'm like the creative director for my creative studio based in Cairo, Egypt.
1: Komi Studio currently has two full-time Cairo-based designers, in addition to Sharif, and a few part-time contractors, all working remotely, allowing Sharif to move from employee to freelancer to agency owner, So we often talk about, leveraging the kind of geo-arbitrage that's common amongst the TMBA listenership.
0: Our primary kind of audience are in the U.S., companies in the U.S., so they would definitely pay us much, much more than companies in Egypt would. And I think for me, big kind of steps in this or like strides in this kind of mindset, I realized with the help of a, he's a very famous designer in the designer's world, Chris Doe. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. He has like a big YouTube channel. Is he the guy with the black hat? Yes, he's the guy with the black hat. So think about the people that are doing well in this company and you can use any metric you want, salary, position, title, something like that right? Think about that and think about one trait that they have and let's, let's play an educated guessing game. Chris is insane. I love that guy. He's the singular person who's had the most impact on my just career generally. I found his YouTube channel when I was still in school studying architecture. I knew then that I wanted to do branding and graphic design anyway, but I was like three years into school. So I had to finish that. And I actually met him in Cairo. We invited him. I like straight out of school. I worked for a big local entrepreneurship conference. I went to them and I said, There's like a creative track where lots of design talk. And so I told them, You have to invite this guy. And they did. And he came. So it was super great meeting him. And we got to know each other personally. He was very instrumental in helping me really see the value of what I do because. Designers don't, you don't see people talking about how much design costs a lot, especially bigger agencies. They don't tell younger designers, okay, you know, we do branding for this many tens of thousands of dollars. So what you're charging is like really low. That was my experience at least. And I know a lot of designers who had similar experiences where you really don't even know where to start pricing your work. You think, okay, so do I charge? $50 $50 for a logo? Is that too much? Do people want to spend that? And a big part of that is because bigger designers and bigger agencies don't talk about how much they charge. But also because people who need design are very different. So you have, I don't know, like a Minecraft YouTuber, he needs a logo. So that's like maybe the smallest scale. And then you have like a mom and pop shop, they also need the logo. And then you have a huge international brand, like I don't know, Coca-Cola, they need a logo also. So that's a big reason why there's also lots of like a huge range of how much design costs, but also a huge range of relative value of design. So for someone, design could not be like a high value item just because they, they, you know, my niece actually knows how to do Photoshop. So maybe she can design my logo. But for someone else, it's like, we're a huge company, we're competing with like three other huge companies in our space. So maybe like a logo design or a brand refresh could give them just the edge they need to differentiate themselves from the competition and potentially mean, you know, millions of dollars of revenue, either gained or lost on if they do it incorrectly. So I just use a logo as an example for design, but it's really just design generally.
1: I'm curious as to what you walked with that when you decided that you were going to be an agency instead of a freelancer, how did you apply that principle you learned from Chris?
0: The first thing was, okay, now I need to charge more for my work. That's the first thing I learned from Chris. How do
1: you do that? Do you just charge more?
0: You just charge more. That's like, that's the thing you have to, it's way bigger, a mental jump than it is like an actual kind of logistical or any other operational jump. So when you go from charging, let's say $200 for a logo to charging $400, logo, that's like a 2x increase, but it's really not a very consequential jump. But it really, it is consequential in your mind because you realize that when you tell the client, okay, I'll charge you 400 and the past client barely agreed to pay the 200 and the client says, yes, sure, I'll pay 400 or, you know, let's start. I'll send you the money. And you you just like, you have this shift in your mind or it just clicks, you know? It's like, oh, they're happy to pay 400. And then you do the work and then they're super happy with the work and everything goes great. And then you're like, so it's definitely worth 400 at least. Maybe next time I try 800. And that's also like something Chris says you do, just like double your rate. If you're just starting out, every few clients double your rate and see how that works. And then you keep on doing that until you kind of hit some resistance. The interesting thing about doubling every time is like
1: often the work is the same amount of difficulty. You know, making the $200 logos as difficult as making the $20,000 logo in theory. Have you found that there's like maybe more subtle things that drive
0: value for the clients that are outside of the main thing in and of itself? That is a perfect question. And that's kind of like the crux of how I see the value of design. I think if you look at design as a deliverable, then $200 uh, logo is the same amount of pixels as like a $20,000 logo. They're just like a file at the end of the day. But it's absolutely not the same amount of work that goes into it. Usually, you know, of course it depends, but someone could be very undercharging. So they're doing a lot of work, but undercharging and someone could be doing overcharging they could be paying somebody 200 bucks and selling it for 20 <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but that's the thing design isn't necessarily in the deliverable as much as it's in arriving at the deliverable okay so a logo is a logo but arriving at the logo is as easy as opening illustrator and drawing like a couple shapes maybe you know a logo could be a circle and the square intersecting that's not difficult to create could be very expensive, but it's not difficult to create. But what's difficult, that where, where the challenge lies is, why is it a circle and a square? Or why is it a red circle and a blue square? It's not difficult to create a red circle, but it's difficult to decide which circle works best for your brand or which color is the color that's going to communicate the nuanced kind of personality you're trying to craft for your business. Because you want people to see you as professional, but you also want them to see you as a little bit friendly or not intimidating. You want them to trust your brand, but you don't want them to think you're like an old fashioned traditional brand. You're still new, but you want trust, but you want friendliness. You want all that. So there's a lot of nuance into what a logo could mean or what it could communicate. And you have to do all that in that amount of pixels or in that kind of small file that's going to be printed on a t-shirt but also printed on a billboard. It's also going to be on the business card, on the website, and it has to work well everywhere. And that's the space you have. The visual design of your brand carries a lot of that weight, a lot of the weight of communicating the personality of the brand. So a lot of the design work that goes into that is just thinking about what to draw and then, you know, drawing it at the end. That's how you're really able to do the value jumps for clients and justify or not you justify to them, but them justifying spending, you know, I'm going to spend 20000 200000 however big the scale, it really depends on just their goals and what it means for the business. Like if I spend $20,000 on a rebrand today and we spend six months working on it, that's a huge, maybe like financial investment and a huge time investment and effort and all that. So let's say I do that. What does that mean for my business? It takes my business from here to here. So it's definitely worth it. It's a no-brainer. But if you're just starting out, if you're super bootstrappy, it doesn't make sense to drop 20000 on that. So maybe you kind of take on the responsibility of doing the thinking about design and the strategy and all that. You're not a designer, you're an entrepreneur. So you have to read a lot. You have to spend so much time doing that. And then you kind of hire a Fiverr designer And tell them, okay, I need a logo that's like a red circle. Because I know red communicates energy to my clients. And I know red does this. And I know a circle is like good shape to do. I'm obviously abstracting the process. But you either think about that or you hire someone to think about that. And I think that's where the big jumps in value typically are. This is an interesting challenge to like...
1: Part of the reason I like talking to you about your agency is... In some ways, like design is like you were talking about. It's like such a broad category. Everybody needs it. Like it's commodified at the low end. It's like the highest of the high at the high end. So there's all this space to play like entrepreneurial games and like value games and things. And so one of the things I want to ask you in a minute about some of the biggest mistakes you see us making, but for me personally, I'm a Fiverr designer freak. I love Fiverr, man. I'm all over that place. I wish my business were just ordering things on Fiverr. That's how much I love Fiverr. One of the problems that you run into when your company reaches a certain scale is that you want to do something proactive and even, dare I say, aggressive with your logo. You want it to make an impact on the world, but around that project, there's all these liabilities. And what I think value in at the high end in design involves a lot of liability management. Absolutely. So thinking through, for example, like, will I offend anybody with this logo? Are there any faux pas? Is it going to look like the t-shirt is like the kerning of the font such that someone who knows about the stuff will write off my brand. Am I using like IP of another brand? There's all these liabilities that you can encounter that I feel like people who are willing to pay more for design. It's like they both want the aggression with the insurance policy. When you order something on Fiverr or 99 designs, you can't be sure that you own that logo. That's a major one, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's not good enough if it's going to be on trucks in New York City, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head with that. It's a lot about risk as well. That's why branding is like also a very strong weapon for the smaller guys to use. Because doing the crazy thing, and you say with the logo, but I, I'm just going to say with your general brand, even yeah. non-designed stuff, just like copywriting, all that kind of funnels into your brand doing the crazy stuff and doing the different things and doing the edgy kind of risky moves, the big guys aren't doing that in, in any industry because of precisely what you're saying. It's really difficult for them to change anything about either their logo, their colors, their, the, their voice of how they do any copywriting, because if they do, they risk losing big. And we've seen this happen a lot where- What are some examples? Do you, do you know some? I remember a few years ago, there was Gap, I think. Yeah, Gap designed this ugly logo that everyone hated. Everyone hated the new Gap's logo to the extent that they reverted back to the older logo. And that's like expensive, super expensive. (laughs) Besides the big hit they took to their brand, they had to roll out the logo and then roll out the older logo again. So like all the labels, everything, all the stores... So that's like a big, big mistake to make. So that line is like super difficult to walk. And that's where the value is, I think. I remember when the Slack logo came out, people were angry. Now, very recently, the the Wise rebrand, formerly TransferWise, it's always funny to me that they always write that next to their name. It's almost like part of the name now. When that came <laughs> out, people were also angry about it. So that's something that people don't recognize, even though they do show these strong emotions that's the importance of branding it's this personality of a friend of yours like imagine waking up and ian's like dressed completely differently and he's talking completely differently and he's like oh, a different per-
1: nice if he put on a nice <laughs> outfit for one <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you know what's so yeah. funny Shreve, you mentioned that transfer wise there's a huge threat in the dc right now where people are just like going crazy like everybody I know, has yeah. really strong views. And I think it's like so hot right now, just to shorten your name. So this podcast next year, if we're successful, should just be The Tropical.
0: The Tropical. No, The, the drop Tropical. of that. Drop of that. <laughs> just Tropical. And then we're going <laughs> to
1: rebrand to Dynamite.
0: That's just Dynamite. All we're, we're just yeah. <laughs> gonna... <laughs> Formerly. <laughs> Formerly Dynamite Circle. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I really like the, the new Wise rebrand, for example.
1: Why do you like it? Let's dig into that because a lot of people are basically saying that it was such a dumb idea to change. Why do you like it?
0: It was obvious to anyone in design that a rebrand was coming because their website looked so dated. It looked so... And when I say dated, I don't mean poorly designed. It just looked so conservative. It was like a very dull navy. It wasn't even like a, a, a navy with like saturation or spunk or anything. It was just like a dull navy... The logo was fine. It was just very meh.
1: Hey, this is Dan. Just to remind you, if you love listening to the Tropical NBA podcast, thank you. Thank you for listening. Check out our brand new website. We just put it up. It's over at tropicalmba.com. Since we don't do news segments on the show every week, the most consistent way to hear about the stories from the thousands of founders that listen to this show every week is to sign up for our newsletter. And as a thank you for doing so, We'll send you a free copy of our book before the exit, some templates that we use to scale and hire in our business, as well as some other goodies. You also receive one email a week that outlines some of the key things that are happening in our community, at our podcast, and with the founders that listen to this show. So check out our newsletter on our brand new website over at tropicalmba.com. Let's talk about our niche. You know a lot of bootstrapped founders. Can we talk about
0: some opportunities that you think they're missing or mistakes that they're making? Especially when you're bootstrapping, there are a lot of things you want to spend money on. There are a lot of things you want to save money on. Design is definitely an important tool to use, an important weapon to wield in this kind of struggle, initial struggle. It can really differentiate you from Bigger people who have way bigger ad spend, for example. Because then if you create just a brand that's different enough, then it's almost like you're not competing with the big people anymore. When advertising began, at least modern advertising, it was reserved for huge companies who could afford to buy TV time. Now, you don't have to have all the money to buy billboards. You don't have to do all that. All you need to do is create a brand. And when I say a brand, I don't mean design or logo or anything. I just mean create something that people can connect with that's different enough from what's out there in the market.
1: Well, think of a specific example that annoys you. Like, as a designer, do you walk around and say like, man, I see this mistake a lot. It sucks that
0: companies do that. Being too, especially early on, being too reactionary with their brands as opposed to just setting out a strategy from the beginning. And the word strategy is scary because it's like, oh, strategy, big. Uh, But it's just like intention, you know, just set specific intention when it comes to building your brand. So it's not, okay, so I'm creating this new business that's like B2C. So I'm dealing with customers. Okay, so now I have to create a website. So let's go to Fiverr and hire someone to create the website. So the website's there. People are on the website. They sign up. And then they receive an email from us. So, okay, let me write a quick template of what that email would look like. And then someone uh, emails about an issue they had. So how do we respond? We respond this way. And then we're sending them their order, for example, or whatever it is we're making. So the packaging, oh, we need to design the packaging. Let's work with uh, this other designer to design the packaging. And it's always like, okay, this is what we have to do now. So let's just do it. And this creates a very kind of Fragmented brand, because you have packaging that doesn't look like the website. you have someone responding to the customer support emails who's writing a specific way that's very different from the copywriting on the website because the founder wrote that. That's very different from like the instructions on the in the box that arrives in the mail. I'm intentionally using examples that aren't particularly designed because branding is all that together. It's not just design. So then you have this kind of confusing brand. No one really understands. Is it fun, like the website copy? Or is it serious, like the, maybe a little rude, like the customer support? you?
1: How do you solve these problems? I think this is interesting because like, traditionally, maybe bootstrappers would think what you're suggesting is expensive, but it doesn't seem to be expensive. It's more like about an intention.
0: I don't think it has to be expensive at all. You can do it. Of course, you know, it's expensive when you hire someone to do it. And that has its advantages. But you can just kind of sit down and think, okay, who am I selling to? Or who am I building this product for? Or this brand for? And you really think about and paint vivid, imaginary people, personas. We call it the
1: ICP exercise. Ideal client profile. What do they care about? What do they do? Exactly. Like what are the products have they bought recently?
0: And really get to know them well. And then... Figure out, okay, so this ideal client, what do they need? Or what do they, you know, you can think about it several ways. And then, you know, you know that they're Gen Z kids. So you need to be way more fun, way more edgy. I heard of this restaurant recently where you go and they just like curse at you and the customer service is horrible, but like intentionally horrible. And people go (laughs) because it's like, there's an expectation and it's met. It's not about good or bad. It's just about setting a specific expectation and meeting it. Yeah. So you just think about, like we were saying, just think about your ideal client and how you want to present your brand to them and just make sure that is consistent across all touch points. So
1: what are some companies that you think do brand right that you often reference to your clients? Hmm. I'll give one. I think lemonade and uh, lemonade renter's insurance in America.
0: It's like a, I have no idea who lemonade renter's insurance are. So I guess I need so to. So what,
1: what I think they take some of the concepts that you're talking about it's completely throughout the brand experience which is number one like you, what you see on the website is what you see in the customer support emails and I think that is like a not expensive touch that everyone can implement that's listening to this show where like do you have an email signature standard Mm -hmm. That's something you could create in like 30 minutes that then gets sent out hundreds of times a week in in a lot of our businesses. We personally don't have one internally. We never had like a team call where we talked about what are our branding standards for our emails. I think that's a really cool takeaway. Lemonade does a great job of that, but they also take branding from companies that our generation loves, like internet companies, and they apply Mm -hmm. it to insurance. And so now all of a sudden it's like, I'm not dealing with an insurance company. I'm dealing with like a SaaS, a service on the web that takes care of my insurance. And I think that that was like kind of the branding genius of
0: what they did. It's easy to do the minimum good branding, I think. Let's say that MVP branding is easy. It's not expensive or challenging to have the basics done right. Because a lot of people also, especially about logos they think they need like a super clever logo. that's like, oh, when you look at it this way, it's like this, the first letter of the company name. But when you look at it the other way, it's the truck that we use or the service that we provide. You don't need that. You just need the logo that's not bad. Often, Sharif, what I find is bootstrappers, like they
1: wade into the waters of design too early before they have the budget or the know-how to do it. So like, for example, mm-hmm. like, if you're setting up a really simple website for your first brand, a lot of people put too much design on that website. I mean, I'm obviously not an expert, but like my always feel is like, there's a lot of like design language that's like agreed upon out here. Focus on your value proposition, your product, and like take away the design elements. Have like a website that looks like a Notion or a Google Doc at the low end, because like people like Notion and Google Docs or have like the most basic Squarespace or WordPress
0: template. Exactly. I was just going to say templates. (laughs)
1: Yeah, just like a, an agreed upon template that stays out of your way. Don't have like some clever logo with like four different colors and like weird mm-hmm. little elements that like people are focused on that rather than like, well, what is my value prop? For me, like a lot of the value of design is like when you want to start saying a lot of things with your design, now you're introducing a lot of liabilities. Mm-hmm. And so with that as a framework, can you give us some of the behind the scenes story of from your perspective about how the Tropical MBA logo came about. A lot of, obviously, people like the show to a degree. Uh, They're here. And then you've created the imagery that will be on billboards, many tank tops, many a hat (laughs) over the next
0: five years. You're tattooing it across the
1: forehead also, right? There's probably going to be a tattoo at some point. (laughs) It won't be on me. (laughs) Let us know um, what you're thinking. And maybe that will help connect the dots about how you think through you know, design challenges.
0: Yeah, I I remember when we spoke about the logo for the first time, we were in uh, Bangkok on that roof party. And I was talking to you about our process. And you said, I know what I want. I know exactly what I want. It's this, this and that. I just want execution. What did I say? No, you just talked about the aesthetic, the neon aesthetic and having it look like this. And uh, you referenced a James Bond movie, I think. And that when you said that, I was thinking, ah, oh, not good. Because.
1: Uh, <laughs> and I want to be clear. I was referencing the Tom Cruise classic Cocktails and Dreams, which is. Yes, uh, yes it was not a James <laughs> Bond
0: movie. I don't know why I thought it was, uh, or like why I remember it. I'm misremembering. But yeah, you had a very kind of, and that typically gives us some trouble Is that a client red flag when when the client has a little bit, yeah, yeah, a a little bit not because it's fine to have opinions, but it's a red flag that kind of means that the client does not see the thinking value that they're hiring you for. They're just hiring you to execute. First of all, they're not a designer. So they have strong opinion that could be good. And it also could be not very good. In your case, it was good. So that's why there was really zero pushback from me because I understood what you wanted. To me, it made sense with what you were doing. Because at at the end of the day, Tropical MBA is like the the badge that we designed really works well for podcasts. But if this were another business, I would have told them "Mm, the neon aesthetic wouldn't really work so well. You need a much simpler logo because the Tropical MBA logo has... Four colors like white, cyan, the pink, and the green. So that's a lot for a logo. But then again, it's not just a logo, it's primarily a podcast cover. So thinking about the applications also, you're able to break some rules of logo design because you know, one of the rules of logo design is just like do one color. And the rules are good if you're just starting out and you don't know, you know, you follow the rules as long until you are good enough and then you know how to break them. I think this is where different cases are, like the nuance of different cases where, you know, it's okay to break the rules. So it was definitely a red, not a red flag, but just like a, hmm, let's see if... That's good. That's good behind the scenes. I remember after the first draft we sent out, Ian sent an email saying, you know what, this is good, but how about we try this? And he sent imagery references that were completely different. And at that time I was thinking, "Mm, I should have enforced our process more in the beginning because you kind of had, you were in a rush and you wanted the design done this way and we were going to be able to do that just fine. But then at that moment I thought, Ooh, if we had done our process, maybe Ian wouldn't have come in now at the almost end with like a different reference. It turns out that he just wanted something specific from that and everything turned out well. But a big part of the process, like uh, I think that goes back to what I was saying about the journey of arriving at the design, is just figuring out and aligning all the stakeholders onto why we're going for this specific direction and just like having checkpoints along the way and having, we always say we collaborate with our clients on our branding projects. It's not like, oh, you pay us, we do branding for you and we give it to you. It's like a very collaborative process. Of course, we're leading it. We're doing the design work, but it's a very collaborative process because at the end of the day, we want our clients to feel that this is their work as much as it's our work as well. You know, we built this new brand together and everything is there. They know why it's there. So they can even, they can present the new branding just as easily as we do to the world because they've been there they know why each decision was made they know why we picked this specific illustration style it removes the kind of subjectivity from it because they we're designing for a goal
1: from my perspective you know I've only been a part of like a few high end branding projects like less than a handful in my life and we're bringing a lot to the table in terms of history and new direction. And I thought that you could repeat back the philosophy to me it was very important, like polarization into tropical, fun, whimsical, not too serious, but mm-hmm. also this kind of travel whimsicalness like that you could repeat that that was like a good philosophical direction that it resonated with you that like relative to like what other people might think to do like this is a good option and then to like take that directive forward without f-ing it up. Is actually to me like where a lot of this value comes from because that's very complicated. I realize when I come to you and I say I want a neon sign for this with that with that, that's a lot of f- ups that you can make right there. Yeah. So then when you came back with the comp of like hot ones, which was like one of our main comps along with cocktails and dreams, I was like, that's it. He gets it.
0: It was a super smooth project. I say this now because it was. It was obviously super fun to work on. And it was good to also work with someone who knows what they want. But this to us was a very easy project because you knew exactly what you wanted. We understood exactly what you wanted. And like you said, kind of our perspective was that this fits. It works well. The philosophy of the direction, it fits. It was way more about crafting the logo. And we spent so much time just like thinking, oh, is the leaf of the palm tree like this angle or this angle. And that stuff is like super boring to anyone who's not a designer. And it's also super boring to designers sometimes. It's way more (laughs) fun to focus on the big picture problems, at least to me. And then once you know that, it's fun to get nitpicky about the angles and all that because you know it's all in service of this vision that everyone's in agreement about. And that was the kind of thing with the, the TMBA. I knew you guys had like a solid vision and I understood it. I understood what you wanted to execute and the team understood what I, you know, it was just like everyone was on the same page. So it was super fun to work on.
1: We love the logo, Sharif. It was really fun working with you and it was thank cool you. to have you on the podcast to share the story. Thanks for coming by the TNBA pod and thanks for creating our brand for the next, uh, hopefully millions of people will see it.
0: Yeah, thank you then. It's a great uh, pleasure both working with you and being on the podcast.
1: Big shout out to Sharif El Comey for sharing his story here at the TMBA podcast and in person at DC Mexico City. You can check him out over at Comey Studio. That's K-O-M-I. He's got a really cool portfolio over there. In addition, uh, number one portfolio piece would be that tropical NBA palm tree. I'll tell you what, the, the snapbacks at the event were the hot swag. And <laughs> I just I feel like having a snapback with my podcast logo on it, that's sort of like endgame swag for me. I'm very proud. I'm very happy to have met 200 of you in person this past weekend. We'll be back with a full recap episode in the coming weeks. Thank you, as always, for listening to the TMBA podcast. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time.